You are listening to the INCJ podcast, conversations about international criminal justice. Hello, uh, welcome to the next uh, INCJ News Desk session. And today, uh, for this session, we're joined by, I'm not going to pronounce your names, I'm really <laughs> sorry. I have trouble with English names and pronunciations, So, uh, but it's Sari and Anastasia, and I will get them to introduce themselves properly shortly. Um, and you're based in Finland. Yes. Is that correct? Good. Okay. Do you, who, who wants to go first? Give us a quick potted introduction of of who, who, who you are, what you do, and how you got into what you're doing. Uh, well, we are from the same organization. I'm Anastasia Lapintie, uh, and Sari and I both work for what we in English would call the Finnish Foundation for Supporting Ex-Offenders. But our, uh, we are basically a non-governmental organization that works to support people who are involved in different stages with the criminal justice system, uh, as well as their family members. And uh, at the moment, I work for, for our family work, uh, let's say, unit of three people. <laughs> Altogether, uh, we have about 50 people at the moment working for us. And what we do is support the family members and loved ones of, of people who have a criminal justice background. Yeah. And I'm Sari Lernberry, and I I work with women and in women's specific work as an expert. And we have a, a team of four. Yeah, team of four <laughs> employees right now. And uh, we also have, uh, as a member of our staff, uh, uh, expert by experience. So we give uh, also some kind of peer support for our our women customers. And we work in prisons and also after the release. Yeah, that's about it, I think. <laughs> So I suppose the obvious question is, is why is family support important? Uh, well, um, I think the obvious answer is that when, when a person commits a crime, it affects a very large number of people. There is obviously a person who is sentenced for the crime and the um, victim or victims of the crime. But then you have the families of the victims, you have the families of the sentenced person, you would have uh, friends, uh, relatives, uh, teachers, work colleagues, a whole number of people. You might have children that are in some ways affected by the crime and and the punishment. Um, and we tend to forget that it's not not just about the offender and the and the victim. So there there is. Um, a uh, large amount of people who are in different ways affected and can be also considered as victims of the crime because of, of the ripple effects or the implications of what happens after a person is sentenced. Yeah, and of course, I think among women, there is always the question about the motherhood and the mm-hmm. maternity, uh, the point of that. And I think it's really important to um, like 
as Anastasia said, that there is like the number of people who gets affected by the crime is really, really large. And among women, the expectations towards motherhood are quite high. And then it's really something that you should consider and take notice when you work with women. And actually, then when you think of the mother of the mother in prison yeah. or the woman in prison, um, there are expectations to her as well. So you, uh, people might think that, how did you raise your child? Now she's she's committed this crime and has been sentenced to prison. So there are so many layers of, of this. Is this, um, does this fit with a traditional model of, if you like, penal uh, approaches? So often you can see, certainly for the expectations about men and masculinity, is that do your time, you know, take your punishment. There's a kind of certainly maybe in, in slightly more conservative countries where punishment is regarded as more of a, a, a motivator for judicial sentencing. Um, and it's characterized as a kind of a, there, there's a, you know, there's a kind of suck it up approach, which goes against the grain. So where, where does this fit and how does this, what's the history in Finland of this kind of model of looking at the wider ramifications of the impact of uh, uh, somebody who's committed a crime and those that it affects that are related to them. You can start Anastasia if you want. <laughs> it's a tough question. It's a big question. Um, yeah. But uh, well, if I understand kind of where you're coming from, the point is that uh, women are an anomaly when you talk about prisoners and um, and people who've committed crimes. Um, uh, the so social expectations towards women, are, and especially if you're a mother, are different to to those of men. Um, so uh, women in prison uh, are looked at through um, different criteria and stricter criteria than men. If yeah, um, yeah, and I think the norms that we set up in our society towards women are different towards if we look at men. And I think the basic is that if a man commits a crime, it's some kind of people accept it <laughs> like it's 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 not that big of a deal. But when a woman when you put a woman in that situation, it changes everything. The stigma and the consequences that the woman will suffer and face are much wider than than towards men so i think the there is a, there is like um these kind of um social regulations and the norms that women confront when they commit a crime and go to prison so that is something we have to know and acknowledge when we work with the women there. And then when you work with the yeah, family with the, members yeah. as well, because the same thing applies, that they uh, yes. have to also consider that the woman in prison, who is my daughter or partner or sister or whoever, uh, is looked at through this this different lens or these different kind of norms than if it were my brother or my partner. 
not to um, say that it's it's somehow nicer <laughs> if if a man is yeah. in prison, but but there are these layers that that we don't always understand that affect the women differently. Um, yeah. Yeah, and of course, and the is that is that part of? Yeah, I'm sorry. Is is that part <laughs> of the judicial? Sorry, sorry. Is that part of the judicial process? That is that, or, or where you come from as a uh, an external agency, you have to provide additional support in that context rather than it being because you can have two people, one male, one female, committing an identical crime, but there's a differential outcome and impact as to removing that person from society is that accounted for in the judicial system in finland or is that something that has to be compensated for in the kind of work that you do well over the recent years um i think like in the past five years in in our um i think um What is the name of the Anastasia? You have to help me. Uh, Prison and Probation Service of yeah. Finland. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is our uh, national service here in Finland. And what is it called? And I think in the past five years, they have really studied about the needs and the different impacts that women in prison have and the stigma and the needs they have to support them in prison so so i think there has there is a good base that and the knowledge is is we have more knowledge about the needs and and the ways we have to support women in if they want to change their lives and i think um, uh, the situation here right now is that The officers and the guards have have had some kind of uh, women-specific training, and trauma-informed practice is known by them. But uh, today we are in the situation that we know there are different needs among uh, women prisoners, but the implementing this knowledge is is just not. Uh, like we are not ready so we have the knowledge but not we mainstream. don't implement it yet yeah 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 but I, uh, yeah 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 you can continue i just wanted to add that uh, uh, that i agree that it's like um it's an emerging trend if one might say so mm. uh, in the prison service but then if you go back to the sentencing process for example It's it's not recognized. There's no kind of uh, gender lens in in sentencing people. Yeah, and I actually yesterday I was meeting the head of the women's specific work in in our um, in our um, <laughs> in our um, prison and. You say Anastasia, the right prison and probation service of Finland. Yeah, yeah. So I met the the head of the women specific work and women prison prisoners head, head. So she she told me that they have trained uh, their staff for the past two years, and we have actually been been also involved 
in the training process, but there are still some kind of um, this phenomenon they are facing that some guards or officers uh, decline to use these kind of approaches. They say that they don't want to <laughs> face the prisoners uh, in women-specific way or trauma-informed. They know that yeah, yeah, it's fine, but we have done these things for the past 20 years like this, so we will continue doing it the same way. So there are some kind of attitudes they have to work on among their staff right now, and, and that's, the I think, the key point we have to do. And I think one part is always so when you're pro providing support like uh, planning for a person to be released. If you're thinking about re-entry, what kind of support uh, a prisoner, a person in prison needs, uh, then there is a gendered perspective to that because um, it's more likely for a man in prison to have women supporting him uh, than for a woman in prison to have support uh, on the outside. So. Uh, that uh, the net networks are different, the support system is different, gendered. And so the, 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 these attitudes, what's the process that is, I mean, the work that you do, it'd be good to work through some examples or, an, you know, an example that just illustrates how this operates in practice. Um, but how, how do you get those people who are reluctant to adopt a trauma-informed approach or a gendered lens for this? How, how do you get them to, to the point where they uh, connect with that and uh, it, it makes it easier for them to do their job uh, because it, they can see a benefit, hopefully, that the, 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 it lowers uh, rates of um, uh, reoffending. I, I would imagine that would be the, 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 the metric that people would want to see. Uh, but what other metrics are there? What other indicators of the quality of this experience do you think uh, would would shift people's views on this? I think that's a really good question. <laughs> and I don't know if I have the right answer because <laughs> yesterday when I was talking with the head of the women-specific work, that was some, this kind of, we say, hot potato. <laughs> so what, what should we do next? And we do co-work and, and, and we just mm, wondered uh, about where they are coming from and, and why they want to like, decline to use these kind of approaches that would really benefit them and make it their job easier on day-to-day -day basis. But I think there is some kind of uh, mm, reluctance to like uh, to really acknowledge that there uh, that women women's needs are different. They they, they think about it like uh, from the equality. <laughs> Uh, point of view that everything they do is like they give the same approach and give the same support uh, not gender based for like they think that everyone should have the same treatment and it's not something that um, that there are differences really uh, between women and men so I think there is some kind of uh, 
reluctance to really see the differences between women and men prisoners. I, but these are just like my hypothesis, <laughs> and and like I don't really have any kind of studies or or research to support my uh, observations. But I think that's that's something we should really talk about here right now. And I think that's the something question that, about yeah. inequality. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's on all levels in society. It's not just about prisons, but this is uh, my understanding is is similar to yours. But I think that where you are talking about illustrating example, I was thinking that one is, for example, that you have a you are working with somebody who has been to prison, who has her own history, and who now comes there as an employee, and and the staff can see that actually change is diff- uh, possible. So that's kind of what you can keep on doing. That that has an impact on the women, but it has to have an impact to the staff as well because they would some of them would know her and and know her history as well but then see that well what a change has happened um then well we have to obviously we have to do this awareness raising it's just a part of it takes time but then um one thing i think is important is is trying to have dialogue with with staff and special uh, specifically with people who are um, prison officers in the sense that they are um, in charge of security uh, and not, for example, a social worker. Um, so we've done some um, dialogue, awareness raising with them, uh, specifically regarding to um, how to face children as visitors in prison and, and, and other family members. But this is kind of a part of it that that you, uh, if when possible, engage with people and, and try to have a conversation because if you're on opposite ends of the room, it rarely nobody wants to change their minds. But obviously, this is something that takes a long time for any of us. And we, we tend to personalize crime. Yes. Uh, as a, as a you know, city, maybe in the you know, northern European <laughs> cultures, uh, there's a, an individualization of, of uh, moral responsibility for crime and therefore punishment and rehabilitation. But what you're suggesting is that we take a more holistic view of this. Uh, and, and that challenge of uh, preparing people in a, you know, the, that engagement with people uh, officers and professionals and support workers and people with lived experience just describe a bit about your experiences with you know learning how that dynamic works and what would you say were the characteristics of uh, as you say it's an emerging thing and it's a snapshot and there's no formed thoughts about this at this point uh, but what what what's your your gut telling you about how this process might work that you you want to take forward into future work i think what anastasia said said earlier about the dialogue that is really important that we have the right environment and the space and the like that we wider our perspective to to and and we have to be open to different kind of point of views and and angle angles about certain certain matters. And I think that 
that is something we really need to like discuss and plan how to like uh, motivate people to listen and really to talk about these issues and make them see that there are really good benefits of changing changing the way you do your work and 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 confront people and i think it's really important to like uh the planning right now how how we make the right environment and the space for the the discussion and the dialogue I really don't have the right answer, but <laughs> it's something we really need to talk about. And and I think there is some good good uh, good researches and and projects here in Finland also concerning our public services right now. So they are really interesting interested to. Um, facilitate all the good practices we know that works with women and and so so there are many kind of good developments here right now but we are really in the on our way right so so everything it's like uh, we really have the knowledge about the situation and what should we do the question is how to implement or everything we know. It, it might be worth for a moment just explaining the context a little bit more. I realise we've got, got to a point where it's like, actually, you need to understand the difference. How do multi-agencies work in Finland when it comes to uh, uh, prison and probation? Uh, is it, it, it here, here in the UK, we drift, we've drifted towards, we've kind of dismantled uh, the role of local authorities within probation and uh, and offence management, where it's not really, they, they don't have budgets for that anymore. They don't have staff who uh, people leave prison and there's no, there's very, it's very narrow forms of support. What's the expectation within Finland about the way that multiple agencies work together or not in order to be able to, you know, create a, a, a pathway for somebody to come out and, you know, integrate back into society again? Well, the strategy of the prison and probation services is to have that uh, multi-agency cooperation because as they themselves say that we they can't do it alone. They need partners to, to provide the services that um, people in prison um, do need during imprisonment, but also during re-entry when you're uh, building a network that helps people after they've uh, completed the sentence. And um, most of the kind of um, targeted work for people, uh, for offenders or uh, this sort of background is um, at the moment provided by um, a third sector, non-governmental organizations, which in the UK would mostly probably we call charities, but uh, here we are, many of us are government funded. Uh, and then um, uh, in our legislation, um, the idea is that when a person is released, he or she is a, a citizen like anyone else and entitled to the same services as anyone else, which in practice can lead to the fact that you are not receiving the services that you need 
uh, and you might be facing difficulties in accessing services because of your background, but there's no kind of um, step to help you access services because of your background. You want to add, sorry? Um, well, I think that's the point where we come <laughs> and help yes. them to get the services. So that's our role in all, all of the, the, the in our whole of the system. So we like um, uh, we we can provide this kind of support for the persons for the person to access the right public services they need. So yeah. And then provide the services yeah. that the public sector does not provide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And What's the benefit of this? What what have you seen in terms of what difference does it make? Uh, does it achieve um, an overall benefit for society, or is it or, and the individuals affected? And then, how, how, what about the people who are the victims within you know of, of crime? What what's the general uh, tone? You know, oft, often you know. It, it can become quite antagonistic uh, and and the, the the victims often can be um, feel as if they're shortchanged because the perpetrator is getting more support than the victim might uh, how, how does that how is that balance achieved well we do have uh, we have support services for victims of crime and uh, I would claim that we have more support services for victims than the offenders. Um, but I do see the point and I, um, I fully understand that a victim of crime would feel that why am I not getting uh, the support that I need or, or enough support. But then, um, well, the benefit is that when we help the person uh, who has offended and might be in the risk of reoffending. Uh, we can stop reoffending, uh, but we can also um, we can also help the family members of that person because, um, as I said, the ripple effects can be quite uh, wide. So if you have, let's say, you have a mother who who is supporting her child in uh, for over decades, maybe. Um, who is uh, using um, misusing substances and uh, committing crimes, and then she herself is um, uh, maybe indebted in, in trying to help help her uh, is carrying a secret, is not able to talk about the things that have happened, is not getting the support that she herself would need. That makes possibly uh, her ability to work or. Um, it lessens her ability to work. So it, it means that while providing support, uh, you're not, not receiving support and you, you're kind of left without and you might not be able to be um, the same um, pr productive citizen as, as you have been before. So when we are providing support for uh, the offender, we are also... Uh, making sure that the family members are not solely responsible for supporting that person. Yeah, it's the, it's the, inter, it, it's the direct and the indirect victims yes. 
and exactly. and is and, and women particularly uh, are in a position where that has more impact indirectly on other people than maybe men do. Um, what what have you learned when you when you kind of inter- interact with people from other um, countries, jurisdictions, uh, departments? What what what's the what 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 do you learn from what your observations of other practices in other in other parts of the criminal justice field or systems? Is the stuff that you is this at the cutting edge of this approach, or is it something that is you know kind of well understood in other places as well, and it's being carried with a rising tide, if you like, or are you? standing out and feeling that you're you know kind of doing something which is not um uh, uh common to many people how, how 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 does it fit within that wider field well i think it depends on the country because <laughs> we have really good um relations to uk for example and there are really good methods and studies and research researches that has like uh, mm, um, it has given us some kind of reinsurance that we are doing the right things because uh, the phenomenons and the needs for women are like universal i think the the problems women face the trauma uh, traumas and the mental health issues, substance abuse, uh, the role of women in society, they are like, um, it's its something we share and there are so much similarities. And I think we have a lot to learn about some practices and, and approaches and, and, and I'm really excited of, of all the co-work we have done and and looking forward to the future because there is really really good to like um change uh, change thoughts and and the dialogue is always something that i every time when i talk some with a foreign colleague i learn something and and the perspective is a bit different and the methods they are using and the practice so there is a lot we can learn but also i think there is something someone can learn from us and the way we do things here so it's like in in both directions what about you anastasia Well, I can agree, agree with what Tari is saying. What I would be, uh, what I'm really hoping is that what we could uh, have more here is the support for for motherhood or, or mothering, uh, including the mothers who have um, lost access or contact with their children, uh, and and uh, like having parenting programs or. Or these things, I like. I always feel very envious when I hear from other countries because sorry, so um, uh, interesting and good um, projects going on. So that's kind of what what I'm hoping that we could have have here in Finland. Yeah, but that's then again, there's the context. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then there's the context of of our um, criminal justice system that. That we also um, 
the threshold of going to prison is higher than in other countries. So it also means that um, the women, let's say, in, in the UK might be serving um, prison sentences for something that would not would be a community sentence in our country in some cases. So that's the kind of uh, benefit that we have. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've, we've got, a, 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 I suppose, a recognition in this country now that uh, the police are being used as a mental health mm-hmm. crisis response. Um, and, and, you know, to the point where the Metropolitan Police in London are, are changing their policy about not responding to mental health issues because they're not being, it's not a policing issue, it's a public health issue. Mm-hmm. And the infrastructure has, has been shifted away from that kind of mental health support at an acute time of uh, uh, you know, economic challenge, if you like, and, and through the pandemic. And I, I suppose if, if you were going to, if you, you know, when you go to workshops and policy conferences and you're asked to speak, uh, what's, what's your, let's finish on what your, your message is to people. Like what's your hopeful message that in taking an, an approach, which is, as you say, co-produced, co-produced, incorporates lived experience, um, looks at things holistically, uh, seeks to uh, appropriately punish, but not um, over, I don't know the right words, but not to, if you like, blame, but to to, to look at the results of rehabilitation. You know, it's, it's a very progressive kind of approach. What's your, what's your message to people to say, hold on to this idea because... You know, it could easily slip backwards and go the opposite way. How do you keep people looking forward to the benefits of this kind of approach? You want to start, Anastasia? <laughs> or <laughs> I need to think of a minute or two. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Led, you, you can go ahead and think. Uh, well, I think um, it's important to understand that shame does not rehabilitate. So when we punish and we shame and we we want people to feel guilty about for what they have done or what their partner or, or child or sister has done, it does not change uh, anyone's behavior, but it makes them feel worse, diminished, uh, and the, the the kind of the bad effects are to multiple people and not just the one who has committed the crime. So uh, understanding that um, helping people who have offended uh, helps other people as well. It helps uh, to stop offending, but it helps the people who are connected to that person as well. Uh, And specifically when they have children. So if we, we continue to say that children are our future, we have to understand that how we treat their parents has a very big effect to what kind of children they grow up in and what kind of future they can have. Uh, and as we know that there are the, the, the adverse childhood experiences of having a parent in prison, uh, and there are a lot of accumulating risks to a child for having a parent in prison, but then the risks do not have to come true. But we need to understand that, that uh, to support the children, we have to support their parents uh, and other family members. And um, uh, when uh, um, the court has already punished, we don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. 
and I think I want to um, I want to talk about the uh, about how we think about when we think about women in prison or or and, and I think it's really important to like when we talk as a professional to professional we talk a lot like women are so difficult and it's so hard to uh, discuss with them or or help them or support them because they are so uh, they are in unpatient and and they 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 are they don't want to hear they are aggressive and they shout and they are <laughs> loud and everything but i think it's really important to understand where where they, where are they coming from to that meeting and and why they behave like that and why why they're they have emotional issues and it's hard for them to like adjust their emotions to some situations so it's really important i think it's it gets it's really um it benefits the professional and the worker who is confronting these women if they really understand the situation the woman is coming to that meeting or or appointment so so it it helps uh, it like gives i think it it does it helps to the dialogue and the confront the confrontation in in that setup so it's really important that people understand the backgrounds and the needs yeah and the anxiety that a person yeah. might be experiencing being in prison for, yeah. for different reasons so that's also something when i'm anxious and i go to a meeting it probably shows yeah so, so even just from a, a self-interested pragmatic point of view uh, there's something in this for for those reluctant people who who don't want to see that bigger picture uh from their own self-interest this would just make your day a bit easier yeah. because it's you reducing confrontation because you're understanding the context within which people come from so okay i hope i, I think i've understood uh, um, you've explained <laughs> it very well uh, and and it'll be very interesting to see when we look at all the dialogues that we've had through the day through the news desk about how this fits with other expectations because you know we've had a great response about people talking about mental health and cognitive diversity as you know kind of issues that need to be explored and it is something which is being taken up uh, ac across the world so uh, is there any final thoughts that you want to add that have you got any any points that you you want to make we'll put links and uh, things into the the, the the blog description and stuff so it'll be um, people can contact you if they if they want to follow up um I think um, I'm always open for a discussion and dialogue so uh, and learn about other people's practices and other countries so if you have good methods or something just contact us. Oh yeah. you just want to talk we love to talk. Yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can always promise that I love to talk and probably Sari will also love to talk. I just want to there would be so many things to to bring up, but I just want to uh, end with the fact that many of the people, um, of, of the family members or other loved ones, are living with a secret. So they are they they can't share the fact that uh, their loved one is in prison, or or they're only a very small number of people. They might, can't discuss the feelings that has the concerns that they have. Uh, 
around that issue, um, the fears that they have. And it's, it, it kind of eats you up inside when you live with a secret for a long time. So I think it's important to understand uh, that perspective as well when you're working with either people in prison or, or their family members. Well, I've written down, shame does not rehabilitate. And that is the message I will take away from this conversation and hopefully apply in other work. So sorry, uh, Anastasia, thank you very much. It's been fascinating. And I hope we managed to explain uh, and do justice to the work that you're doing. Uh, and we'll uh, uh, post this up as a, as a podcast and as a video on YouTube as well, so that if anybody wants to follow it on, then they can do. Uh, but thank you very much. Thanks for having us. You have been listening to the INCJ podcast, conversations about international criminal justice. To find out more, go to our website at criminaljusticenetwork.net or follow us on Twitter at INTCJ Network.